once you have that, I think it's also important to know that we can't survive individually. Once you discover your voice, how you can make sure that your voice stays strong is by sharing it with others, by bringing others to the table. It is, to me, that's what really motivates me to do what I do. Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast with your host, Megan McGowan, and her guests as they share real, raw, inspiring stories of how they have overcome adversity and the lessons they've learned along the way. Megan's mission is to change perspectives, offer hope, and create connections with her audience to make the world we live in a more connected place. All right, let's dive into this episode. Hey guys, so excited to uh, have you meet this incredible woman that I met a few years ago. Um, she's a dedicated activist, uh, the chairwoman of NGO CSW New York. You have such an amazing story. Um, and I, I, get, I can't wait for my audience to hear a little bit more about it. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and how you got involved in all of this. Wow, that's perfect. Yes. Well, first of all, I still remember so clearly how we met and the project we worked together. You all were such an inspiration for me. We happened to be in the same building at, across wow. the street from the United Nations. And I always loved the Drew students. And I thought, okay, yeah, why not? I mean, you know, I'll squeeze in an hour or two to talk to young ones because honestly, Youth is the center of our advocacy and our movement. And, and I've said this for so many years and I'm so happy that everybody is in agreement, everybody's on board and we have made incredible strides in bringing in youth voices and amplifying their voices. But to go back to your question. Um, so I am Hurika Delekian. I am the chair of NGO CSW New York. It's my third year, I have one more year. And the first year that I was the chair, I was actually organizing Beijing plus 25, which is, you know, we'll get into that or people can Google it, you know. <laughs> it's the Beijing platform for action that all of our advocacy is based on. It happened in 1995 in Beijing, global women gathered and really changed the conversation on feminists and equality, gender equality. So we had organized this huge event that was gonna be in person. 8,000 people were coming to the United Nations in March. And then the first week of March, Secretary General shut us down. Wow. So we shift, it was, it was really like a whirlwind. And honestly, I think I was just made for this. I mean, now in hindsight, when I look back, I, I, you know, we actually have benefited in so many ways from the lockdown and I don't want to say COVID, nobody benefits from COVID, <laughs> but just, just the being forced to rethink how are we doing our advocacy, how are we being inclusive, how are we amplifying our voices for gender equality. So that year was almost a washout. We just canceled everything and we started just gathering on Zoom and, and talking it out and saying, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna influence? Because member states were already tough as far as convincing them of, on the wisdom of gender equality. 
<laughs> and then, of course, when we were not there in person, they just very easily could say, oh, sorry, can't hear you, uh, can't see you, you know, that type of reaction. Um, within a year, we were actually able to build a virtual platform. So this was 2021, last March. Wow. And we gathered 27,000 advocates globally. And I can comfortably say 30% were youth members. Wow. And that was huge for me. So it was a success in being able to bring all the voices together. It was a failure because we actually were not able to use our voice in advocacy as well as we did this year. So fast forward this past year in March, we kind of, again, kept the virtual platform open, inclusive, everybody's welcome. We built more um, coalition partnerships that helped bring different types of voices together. So we're not isolated or we're not working in silos because as you know, COVID really did isolate us. And we actually took advantage of these virtual possibilities and brought more partnerships and voices together. And I have to say that CSW 66, which was March, 2022, was a historic successful CSW. Oh. And that's not just me saying, that's people telling me this. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you're so, not biased. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, of course I don't wanna sound like I'm just <laughs> bragging about, because it wasn't about just NGO CSW, it was about a global movement. Now, that doesn't mean that we've solved gender equality. As you, as you know, living in the United States, we are faced with a tremendous pushback right now with our reproductive rights. And that is as serious as anything else you can imagine. Of course, I don't even have to go into it, but it is really important to bring it up because it's a perfect example. If your audience is local, then they really should know it's disappointing, it's despairing, but it's moments like that, just like in 2020, when the pandemic happened, we gathered and we pushed back and we excelled. I really feel like, especially the younger generation needs to get even more revved up about this. Even if you can't go out to, you know, protest, I know there was a Foley Square gathering yesterday or the day before, and, but you know, use our online capacities and social media and calling of our leadership to really keep pushing back because there is no way we have we can roll back rights that our, you know, um, the women that came before us really fought hard and won. So I'll stop there. And I don't know if I, you needed any other further details, but I, I really wanted to make that very important point of any kind of setback should be used as an opportunity to push back even stronger and, and to really keep ourselves busy, engaged and collaborate yeah. so that we are together to make change for the better. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I love every everything that you say, just uh, I adore. Uh, but um, I, I really want to hear, well, first of all, I guess going into describing exactly what NGO CSW is, um, exactly what the mission, the vision is. Um, it, I mean, it touched my life uh, as soon as I heard about it, worked with you all, um, 
we got to go to the United Nations and, and sit in on a talk. I mean, it just opens up your eyes to a whole new world that, you know, you just never really thought was there. So speak a little bit, if you will, um, more about your involvement with NGO CSW, what led you there? And again, like, what is the mission and the vision? Absolutely. So let's go back a little bit on what led me there, because then you will understand why I volunteer for 10 to 15 hours a week sometime. Oh, what am I talking about? A day, <laughs> sometimes a day, but uh, after CSW, it goes down to maybe 20 hours a week. But um, so yeah, I, I come, my, I'm Armenian, born in Beirut, Lebanon. And sometimes I like to say that I am the face of privilege because I'm white. I live in New York City. I was able to raise my children in New York City. That is an incredible privilege that I will always um, own and, and be proud of. And at the same time, my grandparents were survivors of the genocide. My parents actually experienced the Lebanese Civil War. And I personally was, um, a, if you want to call it a survivor, although my marriage was not so bad compared to others in the world, I was married at 14. So that really what, um, what has shaped me my grandparents' genocide, my parents suffering in the civil war, which I, I also was there for a couple of years, but then I moved to New York with my husband in 1976, so didn't experience it as much, but I was a married woman when I arrived in New York City at 15. Wow. What's also interesting is that I wanna connect with what I just said earlier about, about abortion rights. Um, I think the, the negative aspect of my marriage was the fact that education was taken away from me. That is the number one negative aspect. And also didn't allow me to grow as a woman the way I was supposed to. I was, I was growing up in relation to this relationship and what ro my role was, what my duties were and how I took that. So that alone shaped me in a way that is, the hoodie that is fighting for women's and girls' rights to speak up. Like my voice, my true voice was somehow pushed away and education, obviously. Um, but then I was lucky because I was in New York City, I was free. And then sure enough, I got pregnant accidentally at 16. And I am so proud to say that I was able to figure out how to have an abortion so that my life was not even you know, there was not yet another huge stack against me. Now, having said that, within a few years, by the time I was 23, I started having children and I am the proud mama of three amazing young men now. So I am not saying abortion is for everyone, but the access and the choice must be there. My life would not have been the same if I started having children at 16 as well. So fast forward, I lived an incredible life in the fashion and beauty. Originally, we had our own business and I milked everything you can imagine in New York City, the nightlife, the, the diversity, the access to art, culture, and, and educating myself actually, just with books and everything that was available here. So I, I became a street smart, if you wanna call it, instead of book smart, uh, an individual. But 35 years later, something happened where I really woke up one day and I said, something's missing. I'm just not happy. 
you know, of course, my marriage was fine, but there were issues there that I couldn't, I didn't have the tools that I should have built in my high school. I mean, it really is so important to think about there's a reason why there's middle school, high school, college, those blocks of times are so important for young women and young men, boys and girls to really develop to who they want to be. And I'm sure you all can relate to that when you think it's like you didn't have the option, the choices of what you wanted to do right now. And you were forced to be on a farm. You were forced to marry. You were forced to be or trafficked or, or, or forced to work and not go to school, which so many children around the world face that, right? So what your future would be is different. So about 35 years after my marriage, I we together decided that um, we needed to go our separate ways. And I started looking for what's now, right? I want to go back to school. I had gotten some credits by going to night school while I was raising my kids. So I had some college degrees. Oh, I forgot to say, I actually got my GED before even I got pregnant when I first came to New York City. Wow. So I had my general equivalency diploma for high school. So I, I was ready for college. I just didn't know when, how, what, when, how I was going to do that. So before I even re registered to finish my undergrad, um, I, I would say now it's about 12 years ago, somebody introduced me to the Commission on the Status of Women and said, Hudi, you should get this badge, this pass to the UN, go check out what the CSW is, because there's a part-time position that you can represent this organization and then see what you can do. Because my, my talents were marketing and public relation, event planning, but nothing about human rights, nothing about the United Nations. And of course, the first time I entered CSW 54, I think it was in 2011, I was like, that's it. I was head over heels. Michelle Bachelet was giving a lecture uh, for the um, launch of the UN Women. That's when UN Women was launched. And everything she said made complete sense to me. And I just said, okay, this is it. So it's basically been my life for the last 12 years. And what the CSW does at the UN level with member states, all member states meet. There's a bureau, five member states that lead that commission, the Commission on Status of Women. And then there's about 45 members who really help organize these two weeks meetings where all member states meet to discuss what's happening with gender equality globally. There's always a topic that you know is chosen from either Beijing Platform for Action, or for example, this year we all knew climate justice was important. So this past year, the topic about, was about climate justice. So while they gather, what NGO, non-government organizations of the Committee on the Status of Women, so the UN side is called Commission on Status of Women, and we're the committee on the status of women. Our role is to make sure that civil society from around the world, activists, advocates, um, feminists who don't even have access to the UN, we somehow, we are tasked and we somehow are able to gather their voices and recommendations to bring to member states. So we, we advocate for them or we give them the platform to advocate for themselves. And if you go to ngocsw.org, there's so much information there. 
you can see how we advocate. There's an advocacy link right on the website that shows how we work with member states individually and in groups. And it's just discussions. My role, I'm not an expert on any of these topics. My role is just facilitating that connection. There are a lot of experts that I work with and we collaborate with who actually, like my own committee has an advocacy research group that brings together, again, global experts who, who put together recommendations. Like this past year, we did six recommendations on the most important and best way to achieve climate justice, right? So all of that is happening in the background and there's just so many pieces moving, but I keep my focus into how do I create a platform or create um, a situation where all women's and girls' voices are heard. And that's the key. It's the diversity of the voices. It's not just mine and yours because we're privileged and we get to have a Zoom account and we get to dial in or we can even take get visas and fly into New York and speak to member states. So many people do not have that access. So we make sure to create opportunities for their voices to be heard. Wow. Wow. Makes sense. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. and that's the most beautiful part, exactly what you said, that mm. it's incredibly empowering that you're able to provide people, women, a platform to use their voice and you know, kind of teach them exactly how to do that in a way where people usually they would be silenced and they wouldn't have that platform they wouldn't have that that ability um and it's again it's truly phenomenal what you mentioned that this year was a huge success what has been your favorite um i guess topic so far or or what change have you seen what conversations have really resonated with you throughout the years mm, that's such a good question the positive side of this is um, really the opportunity to bring in new voices. For example, we've had issues with really making sure that um, grassroots, indigenous, um, gender nonconforming voices to be as loud as the usual suspects, right? And especially people of color, people, uh, marginalized people. For me to why, and of course, as I said before, I feel like I'm repeating myself, especially from youth community, right? The younger people from different regions of the world. Because the other thing we do at NGO CSW is like we're actually building and strengthening our regional access more and more. So there's NGO CSW and that this is also on our website. There's NGO CSW Africa, Asia Pacific, Middle East, South, Af South America, and of course, North America, Europe. Um, and, and to be able to really dig into those regions and hear the youth voices that are so powerful and and really creative you know i mean the, what, what's wonderful about the younger generation is that i think you all are forced to be creative because there's there's so many there's so much more competition right now there's so many more um attention grabbing 
you know, life, like everything, it's like everything, there's so much like stimulation everywhere. So it's really hard to be able to be quiet and figure out what it is, who you are and what it is that you want to be. So it's a huge challenge that my heart goes out for the newer generation. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for you all to think creatively on how you go around that, right? How do you find yoga and meditation, for example? I mean, I know that sounds very simplistic, but it is important because if you don't quiet your mind down, you're not going to hear what it is that's coming up. So to be able to, to discover all this and bring it to the regions and learn from the regions themselves is, is one of my favorite um, opportunities and gifts that I have learned. Wow. Yeah. And even I remember going to um, one of the monthly meetings and just in that, that room in that building that you're still in, that is across from the United Nations, it, there, was, there was such diversity there. It was incredible. It was incredible to witness. Uh, and again, it, it's, it's so beautiful. And the work that you're doing is so powerful. And I, I can't even imagine how rewarding, challenging it is at times, I'm sure, but rewarding in the same sense. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your story, about your life. You said you were um, married off when you were 15. And I know you mentioned the war happening at that time. Is that the reason why you were married and went to New York or was it a completely different? Coming to New York was definitely the, the war was the reason. What's interesting, first of all, I was 14 when I got married, 15 when I came to New York. So even wow. younger. Okay, so even but, younger, yes. And it's so funny because I, I like to correct that because this is so new to me to be able actually to share it publicly as well. And it really does make me uncomfortable. It's not easy for me to say these things. I know I have checked with my children and they're fine. Um, I, it's just because out of respect to my ex-husband and my parents, my father has passed away, but my mom is still alive because it always, no matter how I say it, it always sounds like it's somebody's fault. And obviously somebody needed to take responsibility, but the way I have been able to live with it is to, to, to settle in my head that that's what was meant to be for, for me. It has made me who I am and I love who I am right now. And I'm gonna concentrate on that and not get stuck with all the pain and suffering that happened in the past. So my mom actually to this day, and if, if you have to really go down to one person who is responsible, it is your mom or dad. It's the adult in your life that should have probably said, no, we don't think this is appropriate. And we can afford to send you to school. You're going to go to school until you're old enough, you know, to know who you are and what you want in life. Um, it was it was my ex-husband's family who offered this opportunity and convinced my mom. And at the time, the war had not started yet. And I think in her mind, she thought, I looked older, I was smarter, I had a big mouth, not saying that those are all bad things. <laughs> and everybody else thought I was 17 at least. So that kind of, you know, in my story, that's what really precipitated it, you know. Um, they might have seen me as a troublemaker. They might have seen me as somebody that could have gotten into trouble. And this was a safe way to keep me, you know, safe. 
Um, but it, it, it happened, right? But I was also very excited because he was cute. He was, he, and the first date I was with him, he actually mentioned he had a friend in New York City. And I thought in my teenage mind, oh, great. Uh, as long as I get to go to New York City, I don't care what I have to do. And that literally is who Huri is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, it's even, um, I mean, that's hysterical that you're like, as long as I get to New York city, I'm good. And I, and I look at, look at me, I got to New York city within a year. And of course, as soon as we got married, I think we got married August 24th, 1975. And the war was fully blown by March of the next year. Like it was August. Yeah. By, by December, January, there were already bombs, killings, businesses being closed. March, it was like, you know, we, it was horrible. I saw dead bodies. I saw, we, we had to go, just like what you see in the news in Ukraine right now, that's what I, we were living under. But by next summer, we were in our cars driving out from Syria to Turkey, to Greece, to London, to New York, and here I am. <laughs> that, was, that was my journey. And then nothing was going to take me back. I mean, I remember we told our families and even my um ex-husband said he would eventually return because he was well to do and we were all like we had a very nice life there that we could have gone back to my parents had a three-story um, house in the country that each child was gonna I had a summer house that I was gonna have for the rest of my life wow <laughs> that I left behind but I didn't care I was like yeah I'll go visit it once in a while but I'm in New York and I'm staying here <laughs> I'm a New York City girl now. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So, so my, my follow-up question, the reason why I asked that is, do you think that you would be, and you kind of already touched on it. Do you think you would be where you are today doing specifically what you're doing without that experience? Like, do you believe that maybe that experience led you to NGO CSW or do you think no matter what? Um, oh, uh, for definitely, definitely. And it's interesting because I look around with my colleagues, I look around to see what type of person actually chooses to do this, right? I mean, a lot of people um, choose this career in college, like they go and they want international human rights or whatever. There's so many degrees that really lead, lead you to this. But there are also a lot of professionals, like in NGO CSW alone, because we are a volunteer-based organization, our executive committee are mostly volunteers. And, and I say mostly because there are some people who work for organizations, might get paid by those organizations, but they're not getting paid by NGO CSW. Their organization is happy to give them time to go work. Like, you know, if you, even if you're working at a bank, sometimes banks tell you to go do civil service or something like that, that, that kind of example. But when I look around in my executive committee, we have a, a former Shakespeare professor um, um, who retired and is volunteering with us. We have, um, we have accountants, we have business people, but, but at the heart of all of these people are women who are really committed to making the world better for whatever reasons they have, right? So, so the 
Shakespeare professor, for example, was uh, from an Irish background and was married to a man who was abusive and then she had to raise her two kids alone. So, I mean, do I have to go even further? That alone was a motivation for her to make sure that women's voices and rights, like, and that's the bottom line is that the, the reason we say voice, we all have a voice, obviously we can talk. And, um, but it's just making sure that it is used for the right reasons. For example, if you know your rights, if you know that just because your husband loves you, doesn't mean he gets to beat you up to make you a better cook or a better cleaner or a better, you know, wife for whatever reasons they have, right? Or because their work was so difficult, they had to get it out on somebody. When you know that that is not okay, then you can actually use your voice to say, stop it. I, you know, and of course it's not that simple. And we all know that. I mean, we can talk for hours about domestic violence, which is honestly the toughest thing to work with because it is so emotional. It is so personable, personal that it's hard to, to even judge people and say, how do you stay with a man who beats you up? Well, because there is something that's keeping you there. That's not your fault. Even if you know that you can get away physically, you still can't. That's something that you need to work through yourself. You need to discover that voice that tells you, I deserve better. Even if I love him and even if he loves me, I deserve not to be hurt, period. So all of that is what motivates us. And of course, I wasn't an abused wife for sure. But for me, it was, again, not being able to really discover who I was on my own terms. And more importantly, the thing that I still struggle with is the lack of education. Everybody deserves to have at least a high school degree and then decide how you want to do your secondary degrees, right? And even high school was not... a you know, like what was wrong with me that I couldn't deserve a high school, you know? So that was my issue. And, 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 and again, that's what I fight for personally is ending early marriage. And by the way, I'm sure you know that um, early marriage in the United States is also rampant, which is the organization I represent because to actually have a foot in the door at United Nations, you need to be part of an ECOSOC accredited organization. And sorry to throw this out like out of the blue because it's going to be hard to describe what is ECOSOC mean it's those UN acronyms that takes us forever to learn but I represent Unchained at Last which is an incredible U.S.-based organization who's fighting state by state to end early marriage in the United States. Wow and, and you would never even think that that's happening in the United States. Exactly and that's the part that makes me proud to represent them right because I want people to know just because you have access here to rights and you have free education until 18 years old yet still patriarchy finds a way to take that away from you and a lot of times these these marriages are because you children were raped and got pregnant and families are embarrassed so they marry them off sometimes people think oh it's all the immigrants that bring their old laws into our country and that's why there's early marriage in the united states no way most of the marriages are literally americans in the south church going mostly church going because you know an abuser is an abuser they, they, they don't discriminate by race color age religion 
he's an abuser and we know that. I mean, I don't have to say, people can look around and find women and girls being abused one out of three in your own circle are. So imagine if you're sitting in a room of three or four people, you can go around talking and at least one person will have a story about abuse. And that's what we're talking about. Wow. Um, I, I, again, I, I can't, I could listen to you talk for the entire day. I, and I can't thank you enough for being here um, and, and sharing your story with me. And I'm a firm believer that the things that we go through, the, the experiences that you have had, you're just shedding a light for so many other people who are stuck in the darkness. So, so I thank you for that. What advice would you give to young women who have something that they want to say or have something that they want to fight for, but just are not confident in themselves or not sure, um, even in women who are stuck in, in a, abusive relationships and, and don't believe that they deserve better and don't believe that they can see their way out of this? Yes, I think so. The most important thing that, um, especially for young women and older, um, because even as I turn to 61, I still have to stop some days and just collect myself and say, who do you deserve this? Who do you deserve to be happy? Who do you deserve to speak up and say what it is that you want to share? So it's always important to remind yourself. And I really, the one message I'd like to give, especially young people is that you're worth it. You, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to your education and, and really own yourself. But the, I'll go another step further is that once you have that, I think it's also important to know that we can't survive individually. Once you discover your voice, how you can make sure that your voice stays strong is by sharing it with others, by bringing others to the table. It is, to me, that's what really motivates me to do what I do. Because I mean, when I'm doing CSW, the two weeks that we're organizing, I don't want to say a word about myself. I want to hear others speak because I have plenty of opportunities to speak my thoughts, right? So it's really important because there is a saying that I'd like to end with is that if everybody's not free, I'm, I'm not free. Like we all have to be free for me to be free. So it's important to first look at yourself because if you're not strong, if you don't have your own voice, you can't extend a hand to give to somebody else. You know, even with the oxygen on airplanes, they say put the oxygen on your face first, 100%. So be selfish, be selfish to empower yourself, but don't stop there. Go the next step and bring others onto the table with you because the individual and the collective of this world is very much connected. If, if we are sick individually, our society is sick. If the society is sick, the individual can't heal. So, I mean, I, I, I always like to keep that in mind. So I hope that answered your question. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for everything. I really am so proud of you. And please say hello to everyone and let's have a reunion. All right. Thank you again. Bye. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Share Your Story podcast with your host, Megan McGowan. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. 
This helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Once again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Share Your Story podcast.